Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Boston to speak with Sam Packard of Locked On Celtics about Boston being the first team through to round two of the NBA playoffs. We'll go to Houston to speak with Ben Dubose of Locked On Rockets about Houston pulling one out in game three against the Jazz to take a commanding 3-0 lead. And then lastly, we'll go to Denver to speak with Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets about their series against the San Antonio Spurs, which is currently tied two games apiece. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys and welcome to another episode, another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. The playoffs are in full swing. We've got teams through to the second round, some series which are all but over, some close ones as well. We're going to be covering a few of those stories across the NBA landscape in today's show. So let's get to it. Let's go now to Boston to speak with one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Sam Packard is here to talk about Boston being the first team through to round two of the playoffs with a uh, a sweep of the Indiana Pacers. Sam, Boston's had its struggles throughout the season. We we know that. Everyone's aware of that. But they took care of the Indiana Pacers fairly comfortably in all four of these games. How much more confidence does this four-game showing give, uh, give or should give Celtics fans as opposed to some of the up-and-down play we saw throughout the season? Uh, I think it has to give the Celtics fans a lot of confidence just because of how inconsistent this team has been uh, throughout the year, like uh, losing a game on the road or losing game three and four, it's just something that felt like the Celtics, uh, uh, this Celtics team was kind of prone to doing a game that they didn't need to win because the effort has not always been there for the Celtics team. So for them to go in um, and win games three and four fairly handily uh, is a lot of confidence. And then especially the way they won game four, uh, it wasn't behind Kyrie Irving or Al Horford. Both of those guys kind of really struggled tonight, but it was um, they got a, a lot of production from their bench, specifically Gordon Hayward, uh, Terry Rozier, and Marcus Morris. Uh, to get production from those guys in the win, uh, you just has a lot more confidence because heading into this playoff run, a lot of Celtics fans thought it was basically is they're going to be dragged wherever Kyrie and Al Horford took them, uh, but they got a pretty much contributions from up and down their lineup uh, and consistent contributions from uh, Hayward especially. Uh, I think it has to give a lot of confidence because that's kind of who they designed this team to be built around. He just has been playing a lot better, uh, especially the last couple weeks of the season. And, and then this round, and especially in game four, he was fantastic. The, the Hayward stuff's interesting because we know that he's had you know, significant struggles throughout this season, moved to the bench early in the year because of the, the struggle fitting with that starting lineup seemed to disappear at times. But you know, playing 31 minutes a night across these first four games, and even looking at his numbers, they don't look spectacular. Only averaged 12 points, uh, five rebounds, less than two assists. He, but he did shoot well, 49% from, from, uh, from the field, which is a, a lot higher than what he'd done during the season. But you know, we look at those numbers, they're nothing like peak Utah Gordon Haywood type of performances, but what made him better during this time? Because if you again you look at those numbers, you don't say, well, Gordon Haywood was fantastic. And I'm not saying that he was the best player in the series, but he was obviously significantly better than he was during the regular season. 
I think it's just a lot about uh, Gordon Hayward's approach. Uh, he's obviously not going to have the same numbers. He's not going to have the same kind of usage that he had he did in Utah. But he's been a lot more aggressive uh, later in the season, and especially in this series. They're, the why the way they kind of use him now, he's coming off the bench, and he's kind of been the primary ball handler when, uh, in the moments, and Kyrie's not on the court. And he's just been um, looking to create his own shot, looking to get into the paint. He's done a better job of... Um, drawing free throws and just um, being aggressive. It's, it looked like you know, there's a lot of mental hurdles of him just not kind of really trusting himself as he was driving earlier in the years. But now it's just him being more aggressive. And he is a very good playmaker. So once they start kind of uh, defenders start playing his drive, he's been able to kind of make plays and make passes. But it's just been his natural aggression, which has kind of led to kind of better production for him. Jason Tatum suffered, and I don't want to call it a sophomore slump this season, but he didn't take the steps forward that I think many people would have been uh, at least not expecting but more hoping for. But he's looked at a different level throughout these playoffs, averaging almost 20 points per game across the four games against Indiana. Are we seeing, um, is this more 2009, uh, 2018 playoffs, Jason Tatum form you know, taking shape again as opposed to some of the some of the struggles he had fitting in with a team that was you know, reintroducing Kyrie and Gordon Haywood, which seemed to seem to impact him throughout the season. Yeah, a lot of his struggles early were shot selection, and he was not, he was taking a lot of long twos, uh, a lot of isolation basketball. It feels like he's made a, a concerted effort to tr- really try to get to the rim today. Uh, got to the free throw line twelve times, um, and that's been really key to him trying to uh, get uh, upwards of twenty points here in the playoffs. I think he's just he's done a lot better job of, of taking the right shots. Um, and he's shooting a lot better from three, especially in these playoffs. Uh, he had some ups and downs this season in terms of three-point shooting. I mean, he started out his rookie year shooting close to 45%. And so I think uh, the the concerted effort to try to get into the paint and then just being very efficient from threes is why he's been so good uh, during this playoff run. Marcus Smart's not available or hasn't been available for this first-round series for Boston. Jalen Brown stepping into his starting role. What's the latest on Marcus Smart? Where are we at in his uh, return timetable? He's about two weeks uh, out from tearing his oblique, and so they said about four to six weeks when they uh, he first had that injury. He in Indiana, he was getting up shots, uh, but he still said he was in a lot of pain. It's not like he was doing a lot of practicing, and he still says it hurts to walk and even breathe sometimes. So uh, I would be surprised if he came back uh, in this uh, Buck series. Although one of the benefits of the Celtics having this four-game sweep is they are going to have a, a fair amount of time before their next series starts. So it could be something where it's uh, later rounds. Marcus Smart's one of the tougher guys in the league, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's on the shorter end of that four- to six-week window, but he still probably has two weeks to go before he's uh, ready to play again. Without you know, having too much disrespect to the Indiana Pacers, they did enter these playoffs as one of the weaker top-level teams due to that absence of Victor Oladipo sort of limped into the playoffs. The Celtics took care of them, but the the next matchup that is looming is the Milwaukee Bucks, who have really destroyed Detroit in all three games so far. Yeah, Boston has, you know, again, comfortably won this series, but it is a different situation now looking to take on Milwaukee in round two. So what have we seen from the Celtics against Indiana, which you think could be translatable to taking on Milwaukee, which is a positive thing uh, that the Celtics fans should be going, oh yeah, we've got a chance here against Milwaukee, despite them steamrolling pretty much everyone throughout the season. Well, the Celtics have played uh, really just connected defense and it's, it's tough to tell how much of that is playing against the Indiana Pacers who just didn't have many offensive options and um, how much that they can kind of translate moving forward. 
I think they're also, we've seen them uh, when the Celtics shoot the three ball well, they, they play really well. And I think that's something to be optimistic about. The Bucks give up, I think, the most amount of threes uh, in the league. And so I think it's going to be the, the big question for the Celtics is can they knock down threes consistently? Can their role players like uh, Marcus Morris, like Terry Rozier, can those guys hit big threes for them? Because all the attention is going to be on Kyrie. And so I think the the defense is going to be there. It's going to, I mean, slowing down Giannis is not uh, an easy feat. But the real question for the Celtics is, can they score uh, with the Bucks consistently? Because even against the Pacers, there were there were some long droughts of ugly basketball where neither neither team could really score. So the offense uh, hasn't clicked entirely for the Celtics, and that's something that they're they're going to need to work on if they have any chance of beating the Bucks. Well, Sam, it's time now for you to kick back and, and just uh, take a breather while we wait for the round two of the playoffs to start and the likely matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks on deck for the Boston Celtics. Sam, we'll have that covered for you all over on Locked On Celtics. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. Don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA and all the podcasts across the Locked On Podcast Network by using the Himalaya Podcast app. Go download Himalaya on your favorite app store and then subscribe to this podcast, Locked On NBA. Now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast. Ben DeBose is here as Houston takes a 3-0 lead over the Utah Jazz. Game three, Ben, was a little tougher than the, the two earlier games. It looked like Houston were they were behind for the majority of that game, pulled it out late. How important is it getting a victory like that when things, plenty of things, aren't going the Rockets' way? I think it's very important, especially because now we know that the Warriors took care of business in their game four. That's the likely second round matchup and they're up three games to one. So you don't want this series to linger. So it was important just from a mechanical perspective, get this round one series done in five games or less so that they don't have the Warriors. That is a big rest advantage going into round two beyond that. As far as the playoffs as a whole. Yeah. I mean, the, the season for Houston has been defined by, and of course, James Harden's MVP candidacy, the fact that he had to put the team on his back the first four months of it between the failed offseason signings from Gerald Morey and then all the injuries in December and January. And largely, Harden kept the Rockets afloat, but they weren't at a contending level. The stretch in which the Rockets got to a contending level after the All-Star break was when Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Daniel House, Austin Rivers, all those guys were either back from injury or in the case of House of Rivers, getting more acclimated to the system. And now it shows you the depth that they have that Harden can have a three of 20 game on the road in the playoffs. And yet they're still deep enough to get a win. You mentioned a couple of those guys, names. we'll get back to Harden in a second, but the, the players that you know, Maury's failed off-season signings, we know Carmelo Anthony, Michael Carter-Williams, James Ennis to a degree, these guys who struggled to fit into the roles that Houston wanted from them, but then they signed a whole bunch of guys who were bought out by teams in-season trades. Kenneth Fareed came across, Austin Rivers came across, Daniel House came across, uh, or not came across, but he, he, jo- he joined the team and with that back-and-forth two-way deal with his contract. All of these guys are playing large rotation roles throughout the playoffs, how have they fit into this team? Are they a key piece of what's happening? Because as you mentioned, the struggles early in the season were real, and a lot of that was to do with the supporting cast. Extremely well. They fit in well on both ends. Some of it, um, Gerald Morey deserves a lot of credit for adjusting on the fly. Some of it takes some positive luck as well. I'm still fairly stunned that the Suns just cut Rivers as opposed to in the last year of his contract trying to find a taker. This is a guy who's only 26 years old. Last two years, he shot like 38% from behind the three-point arc. Obviously, he's a good on-ball defender. And honestly, in terms of replacing the one-on-one perimeter defense of Trevor Ariza, 
Austin Rivers has been the closest comparison in terms of the skill set and the types of guys he can guard. I know that, you know, Ariz has a three slash four and of course Rivers is a guard, but that's a skill denying dribble penetration that after losing Ariza and Bob Mute, they really needed. So he's fit well. House provides some of the same skills and what both of those guys do. They can also take it off the dribble offensively. I think what we've seen from Houston's role players, and this ties into the success of Gerald Green as well, who had three three pointers in game three, besides just needing to make open shots, What's a big deal for Houston with James Harden and Mike D'Antoni is do you have a quick release? Because so much is based on timing. And so those guys you mentioned earlier, Carmelo, especially James Ennis, one of the flaws is that even if they make shots, they aren't necessarily have the, the quick trigger. Whereas Rivers and then especially House, Gerald Green, what fits so well with that bench is that not only can they shoot, can they run, they're athletic, they can space the floor, but they also, and I think Daryl Morey has kind of learned what fits in this system. This is kind of year two of James Harden and Chris Paul. And so having role players that are able to not just provide defense and shooting, but also the quick trigger, I think that's what makes House and Rivers especially viable in the system. Interestingly, that uh, Nene has not been a part of any of the playoff games so far. Kenneth Freed getting all of those minutes there at backup center. Not something that we, again, would have seen coming at the beginning of the season because uh, Freed wasn't on this roster. But it just does show, I guess, the adaptability of Mike D'Antoni and this rotation, changing things up from what they were doing uh, earlier in this season. I thought that was something notable about these games. But let's talk about Harden in Game 3. Obviously, the shot wasn't falling Um in the past, and maybe it even happened, I didn't really see too much of it uh, in this game, but people would have been labeling him a playoff choker, which of course is, is a ridiculous narrative to be throwing out at Harden, given the rest of his line. But the fact that he took 20 shots and hit just three of them, to me, I, I don't see that as... It's a problem. Obviously, you want him to hit the shots, but the fact that he keep taking those shots, and all the Rockets players kept going on about it. It's, you know, James just has to keep taking those shots. There's really no other argument in the uh, in the opposite direction that he needs to you know, keep taking those shots, is there? No, not at all. And it should be pointed out that you know he's 0 of 15 through the first three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter, he made 50% of his shots, 40% of his threes, had 14 points in the fourth, and got them the win you can't just change on the fly because somebody's cold in a given game your entire strategy that's why i laugh so much at the whole o of 27 criticism when the rockets had that extended drought without chris paul in game seven a year ago look without chris paul there's no mid-range game of course they don't have a back to the basket presence you can't expect success especially against playoff opponents by just radically changing your style from what you have done all season long just because you have two or three quarters that you're cold you have to stick with it and harden in this game after starting 0 of 15 showed you why you know you just have to trust that statistics sample size is going to win out he's too good of a shooter to stay down that long and you know you give the jazz some credit one thing that they did rudy gobert the first couple of games of this series he stayed in i would kind of say in between no man's land he would come out to six or seven feet and so harden did have some mid-range success with the floaters and this one gobert who had seven blocks he was coming out so far many times even the floater wasn't there for harden well limited success he did have and it ties back into your fareed point the reason they want fareed rather than nene just like capella they want some element of vertical spacing the lob game to maybe make gobert favors whoever it is the big it's slightly a smidge more hesitant coming out on James. But yeah, I think seeing James succeed in the fourth quarter, it's not like he went from being a choker to all of a sudden clutch. No, it's just a matter of sample size evening out. And that's why you can't just be reactionary and radically change what you have done all season long because you have a cold start to the playoff game. 
that you are who you are by April and May in the NBA. And James Harden, the Rockets, they stuck with it. And ultimately, they got rewarded. I think it was Austin Rivers who said this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was talking about how loud the Utah Jazz crowd was. And the Rockets won the first two games by a combined 52 points and then narrowly got over the line by three points in in game three. Do you think there is, given the the significant home court advantage that the Jazz do have, that the game four could be a little bit dangerous here for Houston and maybe goes into that sort of gentleman sweep territory of a of a four one series uh, series victory? Hopefully, going back to back to Houston in game five and getting that win. It's possible. the The Jazz don't strike me as the type of team, given that Donovan Mitchell is just in year two, that it's just going to roll over and fold. There's a lot of culture and. I will say they looked pretty physically, emotionally spent after game three. So maybe if Houston gets off to a fast start, one thing that really hurt them in game three, the Jazz in the first couple of minutes got off to an eight nothing spurt right out of the gate. Mitchell had a four point play and that ensured that those fans were locked in for the entire game. Whereas in game four, If after the way they lost game three, if the Rockets can get out in front, maybe you'll see the intensity fade just a little bit, but I'm not expecting it. It's as Gerald Green said as well. Rivers said it. Green said it's one of the cool environments in the NBA in terms of the noise factor. And they know that this is probably it for them. So I can't see them mailing it in, especially with Donovan Mitchell in year two. They're trying to build something. If the Rockets get a lead, perhaps, but I'm not anticipating it being easy at all. My guess is that playing at home, they're going to have the same intensity that they had in Game 3. They're going to be playing desperate, and the Rockets, again, are going to have to match it if they want to close it out before it gets back to Houston. Well, it seems like we're going to have this Houston-Golden State series uh, on deck coming up in Round 2. Uh, ben will have that covered when it eventually does happen. Game 4, of course, of the Rockets-Jazz series covered over on Locked on Rockets. Ben, thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Now let's go to Denver to speak with the Locked On Nuggets podcast host. It is Adam Mares. Adam, the Nuggets, uh, they get the, the win in game four, a comfortable victory in San Antonio, their first win there in what feels like 20 years. It's not quite that long, but it is almost that long. The Nuggets <laughs> getting that 117-103 victory over the San Antonio Spurs. And it isn't the entire reason, but a lot of it sparked by a starting lineup change. Will Barton goes to the bench. Tory Craig comes in. I know that you and me have had differing opinions on the Will Barton with the starters uh, discussion over the over the last year or so. Um, but how, how did you see this change? And you do you think this change of Tory Craig starting is going to stick for the rest of at least this series? Oh, I think there's no question about it. And and really, it, it was long overdue. To be honest with you, um, I I am a fan of Will Barton, but his injury he just never really bounced back from it this year. And towards the back half of um, the post all-star break part of the season, he really fell into a giant slump. Um, couldn't guard, couldn't finish at the rim, wasn't knocking down his three-pointers, and that carried over even more so um, in sort of a downward trajectory into the playoffs where I think he was one of 13 from the three-point line over the first three games. So um, it, it was long overdue, and it, it was a welcome move, and I think it's one that likely, I, I would say certainly will not um, change for the remainder of this series, but it, it might be something that the Nuggets stick with even going into future series. 
the way that, that Tory Craig plays that role, and earlier in the season it was Juancho Hernan Gomez, and last season it was Wilson Chandler, it's being this low-usage guy who doesn't require the ball in their hands, who can play some defense and knock down some shots. And that's that's exactly sort of what happened here. I, I did have worries when the Nuggets brought yeah, Barton back on that contract, and then I think his injury almost not saved Malone from himself in terms of just relying too heavily on Barton in certain situations. Again, we, we've disagreed on that in the past. But in terms of Barton and this hip injury, I worry that it's a it's a real long-term thing. We only have to look to his teammate this season, Isaiah Thomas, when you have a significant hip injury, how much it actually takes out of you. Are you concerned that this well, his, is just for, his, uh, anything more it, than a slump? Well, it, it's an adductor uh, injury. So hip, core, I mean, I th- I, I'm i not exactly sure. I think it's different than, than yeah, what it's um, not exactly Isaiah Thomas had. Yeah, so, so a little bit different there. Um, I think more than anything – what happened to Will Barton is he lost confidence in his athleticism, lost some weight, um, and then I think there was a, initially coming back from the injury there was some some worry about re-injuring it. You think about you imagine a core you know tear that's a muscle you use on every single movement. So I think there was a lot of just kind of fear um, that that at any moment that could snap again. So uh, and then as the season went on and he was in just such an ugly slump, it got worse and worse for him. So I I don't know. I think a, a season off will will do a nice reset for him. But Will Barton, this was always his one year to start. I, I think going forward, Denver knows they need to bulk up their their perimeter. And maybe Torrey Craig is that guy. May, you know, he certainly fits the mold of a low usage guy. If he can knock down his three point shot like he has been, um, then there, it's a no brainer. But I think long term, Denver will probably look to just add a little bit more size, length, strength on the wing. So Will Barton was always a stopgap, one year fill in at that spot, and then either go back to the bench or maybe a, a, a trade piece down the line. Although with the injury and the way he played this year, maybe Denver will have to wait another season before trading him on that contract. Now this series is obviously tied uh, two games apiece here, heading back to Denver to for Game 5. So it's far from a fait accompli that Denver gets through this series against San Antonio. But I do want to focus on Nikola Jokic, the Nuggets' best player, obviously, his first appearance in the playoffs. And there's always been a a vocal and maybe not so vocal level of criticism about Jokic. Oh, yeah, let's see how it goes in the playoffs. He's going to get cooked off the court. He's not going to be able to play defense out there. He's not going to be able to have the same success in the playoffs, which is largely, well, not largely, it's 100% untrue given how he has played (laughs) through these first four games. So just give you a moment here to espouse how well Jokic has played and if there is any difference to what he's done in the regular season through these first four games of his playoff career. I mean, the number one thing is the minute total. So he's up to 36 and a half minutes, a little bit over than that. Um, And I think the numbers look more or less like they did in the regular season, just more so. But what's impressive about him, defensively, I think he's been phenomenal. And people that have watched him closely know that he is a really, really, really good defender. Not an okay defender, a really, really good defender um, at almost everything other than the spread pick and roll. That's obviously not something that San Antonio does a lot. So in this series, guarding LaMarcus Aldridge straight up, he's been very, very good. Um, He's just done a lot of good things. I think what's interesting about Jokic, not just the number, he's averaging a 20-point triple-double. I mean, he's uh, three total assists shy of averaging a a triple-double, but uh, on almost 50-40-90 splits, and what's fascinating about it is the Spurs have built their entire game plan about making somebody else beat them, um, sending hard doubles, mixing up their coverage, um, just trying to bother him as much as possible. And it's worked when Will Barton was one of 13 uh, from the three-point line. Gary Harris a little bit you know, in a slump. Jamal Murray had had some really quiet games where he was a non-factor. So they, they were doubling Jokic in the post and not being punished for it. I think Denver has always been sort of in line for a regression with their shooting back 
back to, uh, especially some of these guys, some of these role players, back to um, you know maybe closer to 38, 40 percent. And now with Torrey Craig, I think having the game that he had in Game Four. I suspect that Jokic will get a lot more one-on-one coverage. Uh, the times they tried to guard him one-on-one with Jakob Pertl, who surprised me with how good, of, you know, how good a one-on-one defense um, he 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 can play. But he but Jokic just keeps attacking him until he gets foul trouble, and Pertl was played off of the court because of that in Game Four. I suspect um, as, as the Nuggets continue to knock down shots, Jokic will get more one-on-one opportunities, and um, I, I I think the best could be still ahead of him in the series. Two games apiece here at the moment, Adam. Um, do you think this is going to seven, or do you have confidence in Denver closing out the next two games? And if so, why? I I, I could see all options now. Spurs and six, Nuggets and six, Spurs and seven, Nuggets and seven. I think they're all still on the table, but I I think Denver. You know, a young team, inexperienced team, all those things were were true of this team, and I do think there was a, a moment in time where this team got rattled and um, thrown off. I, I I think game three in particular, they the entire team seemed to approach it like a regular season game, and it's just one of those. You know, there's been lessons along the way, but the one thing I'll say is I think Denver is clearly better than the San Antonio Spurs, clearly more talented. And now that they've made some of the adjustments, and now that I think that sense of urgency has um, sort of ki- sort of kicked in. I if I were a betting man, I would put money on Denver, and I think six games is is as likely as seven games at this point for them. Uh, Paul, Will uh, Paul Millsap after Game Three, sort of angry in the locker room, guaranteed a Game Four win, and of course backed it up. Nuggets win that one handily, and when asked about it, he said, "Well, I just know that when this team focuses, we're really good." And te- you know, basically saying teams like the Spurs can't beat us. Well, for whatever reason, Denver's had to kind of learn playoffs you need to bring that all the time now that i think they have that i just think their a game is better than the spurs's a game well it's going to be interesting to see it's one of these series that it is close there haven't been uh, all that many of them in in the first round so far so denver looking to push over that hump and adam's going to have that covered for you over on locked on nuggets thanks for jumping on locked on nba with me thanks so much josh And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing to Locked On NBA by doing it in the Himalaya podcast app. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and on Stitcher as well. So go and subscribe and never miss an episode. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and go find your favorite NBA team or NFL team or Major League Baseball team uh, right across the Locked On Podcast Network. And check out Locked On NFL where they did a whole week of mock drafts last week, uh, a great series of shows that I'm sure you will be absolutely thrilled that you listen to. So go check that out. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.